welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Somaru. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's episode. I'm joined by Michael Nidham. He's a managing director and co-founder of Camet Ventures, a venture builder and investor focused on disrupting the health tech and insure tech sectors. So prior to Camet, Michael was a partner in the insurance and TMT practices of Boston Consulting Group, as you'll know, BCG. Uh, and during his time at BCG, Michael was instrumental in developing their offering in the digital space and was also involved in the opening of the firm's offices in Israel. So Michael has also launched three successful technology startups focused on media and big data, and he is here to talk to us about his passions in health tech and, of course, Camera Ventures. So Michael, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? Uh, thank you very much uh, for this super intro. I'm great. The, for once, the weather in uh, in London is good. So it's okay. Yeah, I'll, it's I'll, okay. I was concerned that we'd had our summer. Um, so yeah, whereabouts are you speaking to us from today, Michael? Whereabouts in London are you? Uh, I am in uh, Marylebone. I'm in Marylebone, where our offices are, and uh, and from where we we develop most of our projects. I must say. Excellent and good to be back in the office. I must say. So the way we start these these podcasts, Michael, is we get you to tell your story and by all means, tell the long version. You've obviously got a very interesting background, three startups behind you, BCG, now obviously founder, co-founder, Camet Ventures and everything that you're doing there. So uh, yeah, by all means, sir, tell us a bit of your story. So um, my story, uh, you know, the individual stories are always uh, full of surprises. So mine is the same. <laughs> you know, I studied, uh, I studied uh, engineering uh, in France. I and uh, I, I had, uh, I finished my studies um, with a little bit of uh, economics and econometrics, uh, and then uh, I, I joined a, a consulting firm. Okay, and work which was a uh, eighty kearney because I felt I didn't know nothing about business uh, and life in general. Yeah. So I, I, you know, everybody was telling me you'll see a lot of different things, etc. And then I was involved in a project. It's really funny this one. I was involved in a project for eighty kearney uh, for um, for uh, France Telecom International, mobile operator, or okay. that were starting to develop subsidiaries, mobile operator subsidiaries in Belgium in uh, in Netherlands. Sure. I love this job. I loved it, you know. I loved it. I, I found it fascinating. Uh, and then I said, maybe, uh, you know, I love consulting so much, which I, I actually do, but it's a different, it's a different story. And and uh, and then I was, uh, after uh, one year and a half, not one year and a half, uh, one year approximately working in those projects, uh, I was moved into a cost-cutting exercise in purchasing, and I hated it so much. I said, no, it's not... And then I realized that what I liked was not really, well, I liked consulting, but it's not really that that I loved about the first experience. It was really building stuff, creating yeah. new companies, addressing new markets. And it made me think that, uh, that if I liked it so much, I needed to try it for, for myself. And that's how I started to, 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 to be an entrepreneur. I launched the first company with um, friends from school, uh, as many do, you know. At this time, uh, I was living in a small apartment in Paris. I was seeing all those entrepreneurs in garages in California, and I felt I didn't have a garage, so I, it was really a problem for me. I'm, I'm <laughs> without, uh, without a garage, so I can confirm to everybody: you don't need a garage. To <laughs> okay, you can also work in a studio, and Kamet has a nice one. You're welcome. To, uh, <laughs> you can work also in your apartment, in your home, etc. The, the, the place doesn't really matter. And I started in payment security, uh, a bit geeky. Um, Okay, and uh, of course, I uh, like many first-time entrepreneurs. This um, I failed, uh, and and I tried again and again, 
and uh, I learned one thing, you know, is that uh, you, you need, if you want to get somewhere, you need to, you need to accept failure and uh, learn from it and you need to persevere. Well, after a while, uh, being an entrepreneur and being quite far away from home, I built, uh, you know, I, I decided that it was also good, you know, uh, to, to focus on my building my family, building my home and and, and I, I must admit that for me, it was a very difficult to do both at the same time because uh, entrepreneurship is something that takes most of your brain energy, I would say. And so I, uh, I decided to join a more, I would say, traditional job. Um, and, and that's how I, I joined BCG. Mm. And I did, didn't expect uh, to like it so much, but I liked it very, very much, uh, to be honest. Well, I, I didn't feel, you know, uh, in this, uh, in this uh, company, in this firm, uh, uh, most of the pressure that people describe when they speak about consulting houses, it's supposed to be super intense, work like crazy. Yeah. I never felt that there. I felt it was a bit like a family of very, you know, driven people who are interested by stuff. In the end, uh, very uh, requiring a lot of energy, but much less than being an entrepreneur, to be, to be really honest. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit more brainy. Well, and I, I liked it very much, but, but still, you know, this... Uh, uh, doing something, uh, developing something, and specifically in the first years of consulting, you're more involved in projects where you do recommendation and you build documents was a, a bit frustrating. And I reconnected with that when I when I uh, was offered the opportunity to um, you know to, to to help with the with the creation of the of offices around the globe. I started uh, in you know actually in uh, in Middle East supporting a team that was establishing an office, and then I had the opportunity. to to be part of the, the team that established the Tel Aviv office it was a great adventure. And I, I, I got this feeling back, you know, of building something, of creating yeah. businesses, etc. And at this stage, I must say my industry focus was not at all health, not at all, at all, at all. Mm. I was very focused. Well, I had uh, worked in TMT, in telecom, in media, uh, specifically telco. I had worked a little bit in bankings, payments, uh, and investment banking too, uh, asset management. And then mm. insurance. So those are more fintech kind of spaces today, not tech, but fin you know financial kind of spaces. And uh, and I moved to Tel Aviv, and in Tel Aviv I worked on everything because the market being small, uh, you have to work on everything. So I did some banking, I did some, uh, well, I did everything. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be. <laughs> and uh, what I also uh, felt in Tel Aviv while creating uh, BCG is that technology in Israel was really so much an energetic an, an industry. That I felt it it made sense to uh, you know to 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 revisit my uh, my previous loves and um, and reconnect with my uh, with my past and look at it a little bit closer. And looking at that and at the same time, you know, BCG was uh, uh, getting more and more involved in digital, uh, launching also businesses with the creation of digital venture, which with you know entity with which I worked quite a lot. But, you know, I felt it was a, a great moment uh, uh, to get back. And, and uh, I really debated with myself, should I do that alone? Create my own company in which field? I had a few ideas on insurance and energy, etc. Mm. Or uh, should I try to scale a little bit this experience? Because when you've worked at the same time as an entrepreneur and as, a, I would say, uh, in the corporate world, I think it gives you a very different perspective. Uh, on what it takes to, to be successful and how to think about opportunities. I think it's, it's just very different. And very few people, I think, have the chance and to have done that uh, extensively. Yeah. And, um, and I must say, I, I think very few personality profile can do both. I think I, yeah. 
I know many entrepreneurs that are, that are brilliant people uh, uh, and, and brilliant entrepreneurs that, I, you know, I couldn't see how they could uh, fit in a, in a corporate world and, and vice versa. Okay. And I'm yeah. not saying one is better than the other. I think it requires usually a, a set of skills that are quite different and, 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 and not only skills, also a personality profile, mm. you know, quite different. And I know very few that, that can do both. Um, I think I'm one of them. I think my partner at Kamet uh, is one of them. And I think it gives you a different perspective on how to, yes, on, on both worlds, to be honest, on how to... Uh, I think I'm one of them, yeah. frankly. I, I really do. I, I think it's a really interesting way of framing it because I've never thought about it in that sense before. So often on this podcast, even, you know, we ask the question, do you think entrepreneurs are, are, are born or made? And I think there's a there's an interesting argument to both i think in the context of what you're saying perhaps some people are born corporate perhaps some people are born on show perhaps some people are born just in the middle and able to do both i genuinely feel that that, that i that i have thrived in both to be honest and i failed in both i would probably argue as well for yeah. different reasons but yeah I, I definitely agree with that yeah me too I, you know and then people don't thrive if they don't fail and that's uh yeah <laughs> okay and they don't and they don't fail if they don't try to thrive okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> so, uh, well and then uh you know i i my pass across the one of stefan who had this brilliant idea of creating uh uh some sort of a, of a startup that would create startup yeah i was doing this kind of stuff with bcg digital venture also on my side we discussed we exchanged ideas and uh and we decided to join force and Stefan at this time was a was a leader uh, in AXA and in you know a very very big insurance yeah. company that you you might know them. And um, and uh, he managed to you know to to convince and he was a really a leader he was really at the top 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 management there, and he decided to leave uh, as I decided to leave uh, BCG uh, to to create uh, Kemet. And uh, he, you know, this move intrigued them, and and, and ultimately they were the one who, who invested in uh, nice in Kemet, and um, and I must say we are very grateful because they, they gave us a chance that I think very few people get to have a, mm. a you know they invested a hundred million in Kemet, which is a Oof. which is a very significant amount of money for a first time. Uh, Oof, yeah. Uh, it's a heck of a seed round that. <laughs> exactly. So, so that's what I'm saying. We're very very grateful. Uh, to, to have had this opportunity and um, and it, for sure it helped us uh, their brand name their support uh, and their money helped us uh, a lot uh, establish uh, our franchise uh, franchise so nice okay so so today but uh, we are an independent company uh, we are uh, a studio uh, and 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 in Kemet because we're speaking of myself so I'm going to continue on myself before speaking of Kemet you mm. know and in Kemet, what, what I've been doing in the past uh, six years, you know, is uh, is really to uh, to develop, design, imagine. Uh, so I would say in the other order, to imagine, uh, dream, uh, imagine, uh, design, uh, develop, build, uh, and launch uh, uh, a set of uh, over 20 businesses. Uh, I've also uh, partnered with many entrepreneurs that progressively took over those businesses and, uh, and became... Uh, uh, founders in full rights uh, after having been, uh, you know, uh, in residence at Kemet, uh, um, co-founder, uh, etc. Yeah. Uh, bon. And and uh, 
And I think we have, the, we have I wouldn't say invented, but I, you know, contributed to invent a, a new way of, uh, of developing innovation. I think it has been a fascinating experience. And, you know, it was a, a lot of bets, you know. Can you uh, really, uh, you know, because your question, are entrepreneurs uh, born or made? You mm. know, so is, uh, are they genius? Uh, do the idea, uh, you know, and I, I see so many people that speak to me about ideas, how, you know, entrepreneurs, they, they are the one coming with ideas. And I, I realize that, you know, I'm from a from a Jew, Jewish background, and in the you know in the, I've heard a lot of my very religious family in some areas of my family they are explained to me that uh, you know if I studied Talmud I would have all the ideas that are available in the world available in the book, and you know I don't know if it's true I never studied in in depth or sufficiently in depth to know if all the ideas are there but I, I believe that uh, the ideas they belong to everybody and they yeah. are there and. Uh, the problem is not to have the idea. The problem is to pick the idea and to do the execution because the okay, idea is, indeed. you know, yes, you know, I, I, I read a lot about uh, tech and what happens. I read about, uh, and, and if I speak casually, you know, Uber is a great idea, but uh, taxi drivers are there before Uber and before taxi drivers, you had a uh, diligence carriers and before, you know, it always existed and you, it has always existed. Mm. Okay. So there is not an idea here. What's the idea? Is the idea the geolocalization on the map? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a part of the design. And, uh, and so the reality is, um, I, I don't believe that much in the connection between entrepreneurship and idea. I believe very much in the connection between entrepreneurship and dreams and uh, desire and uh, really, you know, an, an appetite to do stuff and to build them and, um, and desire to change the world and to, to have an impact. This I believe very much, but not about, you know, genius and ideas, etc. Et mm. You need to be careful in selecting what you do. Bon, but so it was a bet because people, I met a lot of people who told me, no, it's not like that. Uh, you need a genius to come with the right idea. Bon. I think we have proven them wrong. You know, uh, uh, I don't consider myself a genius and I'm not alone in that. It's a mm. few of people. We have a process. We, we, we mature idea and designs and, and uh, we don't need a genius to do it. On the contrary, what we need is a method, uh, calm, uh, thoroughness, and then you can have very good ideas that thrive. Um, the second big bet is, okay, can you really uh, uh, make people dream about those, those ideas that they didn't uh, have? Okay, but it's not so obvious because maybe in order to dream, you know, if, if entrepreneurship and success is about desire, maybe to, to succeed, you need to have, to have the idea yourself. Otherwise, it will never come in your dream. Well, I think we have also proven that wrong. When, when you have people working on something long enough, getting comfortable in it, on it, trying to put it, together and, and to bring it to life, but then uh, they love it as if it's their child. Mm -hmm. uh, and so you see, so there is probably a link of blood. If the idea was born in your head, maybe you like it uh, mm -hmm. uh, sooner, but, but if you raise it, you like it nevertheless. Like well, indeed. Yeah. In, in, in that example, yeah. Talking about a child, indeed. Um, I also think that you can't really make too many assumptions about a person's motivation because their their motivation just might be being part of an amazing team that has a purpose and that's what motivates them just being around people that have purpose it could be that they're just motivated by a certain sector and doing anything you never you never know right i think it's it's interesting that we default to as you as you pointed out you know you have to be the one with the idea that has the most passion and anybody else is probably going to have a bit less it's it's, a, it's an interesting thing to default to that when at the end of the day people could be motivated by far more than the actual 
device or the product or you know it's not it's certainly not a given that that your motivation comes from the product no no not from your equity share to be honest (laughs) no nor from your equity share i agree exactly so i think that you have very very different so i think we proved it and what what I, i discovered along the path is that if you want to be successful in this it's very important not to believe it's a, you can make it a, an industry. You cannot make it an, at least I don't believe you can make yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Maybe you can make it, a, I call, we call our team the factory. Yeah. The reality, it's not a factory. It's a workshop, you know? Yeah. And if it's not a workshop, if you don't have so much human touch put in there, this mix, you know, of, a, of a science, but also art, etc. cetera, uh, I, I, I don't believe you can make it. Yeah, this is this funny. This this is the third conversation I've had today about this, about the fact that you know we're in we're in tech, right? And tech is all about scale. It's all about um, low cost and decent unit economics. And you don't actually want people in there because then they make everything more expensive. Actually, though, you this whole thing about I think even in tech, particularly in health tech, right now that when you think about the art as well as the science, putting people into the loop is actually extremely important. When it comes to the care of somebody else, yes, there's things you can make better through technology. Yes, there's elements that you can make more efficient and more, you know, you can scale through technology. I accept that. But what I'm increasingly accepting is the digital therapeutics that think they can do it all through technology and I don't know, the medical devices that think they can just wrap a little technology service around what they do without involving people are not going to be anywhere near as high quality, if you define quality by any means of how patients feel or anything like that. It seems to me that by putting people in the loop with technology, that's how we're getting the most interesting blend of the, all the benefits of technology, the scale, the the fast processing, et cetera, et cetera, but with the art and what are we actually trying to achieve here? We're actually trying to achieve things that do involve people, in my opinion. Yes, I agree with you. And uh, and I think one interesting observation is everybody speaks of health tech, right? Mm. We like to make uh, acronyms and to bring words together. And then mm. we forget that uh, uh, le, le, there, there are other parts to the words we concatenate. Okay, it's it's not health; it's healthcare. Yeah. The tech is not uh, healthy. Okay, it's trying to provide healthcare, and in healthcare you have care. Yeah, I know that we have. You were speaking a lot about AI. What we want is AI to be cognitive today. We are very far from them being able to be caring, right? Yeah. So agreed. I, I think when we develop technology for healthcare. At least that's my very strong belief. What we can do is Steve Austin. It's not a, a robot. Mm. We can we can try to, to go for bionic doctors because they still need to care. And at this stage, I have never seen any machine that can care. Mm. Okay, they can be systematic. They can be better. They can be more accurate. Mm. They can be faster. They can be cheaper. Mm. Personally, I've not seen yet a technology that cares. I would say even the opposite. And the COVID uh, period uh, reinforced my, my belief that uh, technology doesn't care. You know, yes, we're doing a mm. lot of them. Yes, it's much better than not speaking with our families that's on the other side of the globe. But no, it's not as caring. And no, it's not as emotional. Yes, my kids are attending school on their computer for six months, okay? And maybe they learn something, but there are things they don't learn. They don't learn how to relate to other people. 
They don't learn how to behave socially. They don't learn how to care. Okay, and that's very, very clear. And it's obvious to me that this becomes a, a blind spot in their education when they're doing it from home, distantly, using technology only. Yeah. And I think on healthcare, if we lose the care element, we will lose the health element too. I agree. And actually, there's, there's, so, there's so much to that. I mean, I, I've said for a long, long, long time that in my opinion, because, you know, I'm attached to health tech and, and there's so much of it. And I think people can get my beliefs of health tech a bit mixed up. But I absolutely believe that technology should be emancipating people to care and to have the time to care and to... I can remember even as a clinician, right? I, I was spread so thinly that I could not deliver the standard of care that I wanted to. That was my frustration. That's what led me to speak to technology companies to try and speed things up because all I wanted was more time in the day to actually deliver the standard of care that I wanted to. And that became extremely important. I think what was also interesting about you know COVID and the, and the rise of telemedicine as well, as you've said, sort of like what you're saying uh, with schooling is that there are elements that you don't learn when you don't go to school to do with human interaction and things. It's the same, it's the same as, a, as a consultation as well, because we always talk about, you know, the, the door handle symptom or the door handle conversation where the patient's hand is on the door as they're leaving. And then they turn around and say, Oh, one more thing. You know, you can't have that in a telemedicine com conversation and you'd lose that. People aren't as willing to explain mental health and things if it's the first you know it takes what seven visits or something you know it's a huge amount of visits before people really open up and and, and talk to you because they want to build a connection with a human in order to then do it and I, I do i do agree with you i think there's things that we're missing as we're as we're scaling technology and we're not putting humans into those clinical yeah, workflows we're missing out on stuff and you're speaking of tele telemedicine but you know but telemedicine is still operated by men huh yeah yeah Imagine automated uh, healthcare chat. So, but there is, you know, there is still some ambiguity there because maybe some stigma mm. be overcome through this. You know, I remember mm. the early uh, days of internet, a lot of people were doing sex chat, mm. sex chat with their neighbors. Huh? <laughs> they didn't do it because they didn't want people to know that they were doing sex chat. And so the, on the healthcare, you still have, unfortunately, uh, uh, element of the healthcare that, you know, uh, people face with stigma and I can give you some example. Uh, erectile dysfunction is one mm. okay, where it's difficult for people even to, to tell their doctor about it. That's what we're discovering. That's a topic mm. we are looking into uh, those days. Um, uh, menopause is one. Yeah. Where you see uh, uh, women facing difficulties, you know, when they have the early stage of the menopause, uh, connecting with doctors, trying to see how they can uh, overcome the symptoms, etc., etc., or manage it better. Mm. Uh, I think a mental uh, mental health is one. And mental health in the in the company is definitely one. Yeah, you feel stressed in your company. Telling it to an organization that can help you is something extremely difficult. Mm. And, and and maybe for those, but the intermediation of the care can make the care more caring. You know. So I think there is an ambiguity in everything. It's not technology per se that's called. And uh, I think it's a question of adapting well. The, the the means to the end. And mm. um, yeah, so, you know, and I think healthcare is a, is a, is a fantastic uh, opportunity for technology, a fantastic opportunity. That's what I discovered at Kemet. And the reason why I did it is because our, in, our investor, AXA, was very interested in uh, developing new health services. And sure. 
I knew very little about healthcare. I had probably two projects in my life with hospitals or with P company that wanted to buy hospitals. So I knew the basic of the economics. Yeah. But I knew very little. And, and I also, I must say, I, I, I'm co coming from a family where you have many, many, many doctors. Mm -hmm. My father, my mother, my uncles, my, my aunt, almost everybody is in the medical industry. Uh, but beyond that, I knew very, very little. And, uh, and I fell uh, in the industry uh, lately, in the past five years, and I've been uh, immersing myself. And I really believe the opportunity is massive. And, and the reason why I believe this opportunity is massive is, you know, a little bit what we discussed, the fact that there is an opportunity to create a bionic doctor, mm. that there is definitely an opportunity to do the repetitive task better. There is an opportunity to reduce the... the, the, the the admin burden that's on the clinicians and that's becoming honestly unmanageable in, mm -hmm. in society. Also because there is a, overall a trend in, in our developed world to make a human resource too expensive to afford to, mo to most people. You know, that's why we go to, to movies and we go less to theater. Yes, the stars are very good, but still the theater gives you a more carnal experience and you go to the movie just because it's cheaper. And the reason it's cheaper with such good actors, it's just because you can scale it. And it's the same with every industry. And we see that it's coming, you know. But when you think of the past, very long ago in the past, you know, you know, everybody was going to theater almost every week or every other mm. week, even in the villages, you know, because it was cheap, because they were coming there, they were doing their, their show and people would go. Mm. And entertainment existed too. We, nobody invented entertainment, not with cinema, that's for sure. And, and, and the question is, of course, the resources that were cheap become expensive. And so we need to rethink the way we access uh, entertainment and also healthcare. Mm. It's the same uh, in the end, the same transformation that's occurring. I, I, yeah, I suspect. But but there is another reason, you know, uh, and and this reason is very linked to this care that we discussed. You know, I remember my father. My father was a, a doctor in the suburb of Paris. He was the first doctor in his area, or he took over a doctor, but the, the first doctor in in the town because the town didn't exist before he he arrived. It was more uh, countryside, and progressively it became a town. And his patients, he knew all of them. He knew the name mm -hmm. of the patient, the name of his or her partner. So now we are forced to do that. Uh, okay. The kids, he, know, he knew them and, and he recognized them and he saw them in the street and he saw them in his office. And he, you know, if somebody was gaining uh, 15 kilos, he would notice it. If he was mm. gaining three kilos, he would notice it. If he was getting redder, he would notice it. it. It happened that he met people in the street and asked them to come to his office because he felt something was, uh, was off. And he had a broad patient base, but he knew all of them. Honestly, by name, uh, their story, everything. Okay. And, I, you know, I, I, when I joined Kemet, I, uh, I did a, a diet, a very substantial diet. And I lost, I don't know in stones how much it is. In kilos, it's close to 35. Wow. Um, uh, and uh, I, I saw my NHS doctor before to register. And, you know, after for a health check, or I don't remember what I had, a flu or something. Mm. Well, and he didn't notice it. Hmm. He didn't even ask me about, did you try to lose weight? Hmm. And I know very well that, you know, when you lose this amount of weight, if you didn't try to do it, if you didn't do something to do it, you need to, you still need to check what happens. Hmm. And, you know, this, this observation really struck me. The reason why we call it healthcare is because uh, we think this guy is caring. Okay, he's supposed to give me care, but as a matter of fact, he's not capable. It's, I, I don't blame him. He's not capable no, of guessing yeah. me twice. Okay, he cannot know me. He has too many patients. He spent seven minutes with me. Mm. He's now in an, in an industry that process mm. uh, appointments. 
How can he really? And then if we want him to be able to do that, how can he without technology? Mm. It's impossible. Mm. Then you look at what does he have? What does he have in his system? He has access maybe to EMEs or to whatever other system in the UK. And then he has very little information on the patient. I don't use it. I don't even want him to know too much because if one day I will apply to a mortgage. There is <laughs> there. So of course I don't want the information to be there. So it's just a counterintuitive organization, the way it works. Mm. Where the interests uh, are not very much aligned for me and the tech system of the NHS. Me and my doctor, I suppose it is. But me and the tech system, it is definitely not. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, how, do, how can we change that? How can we scale the access? How can we provide to the doctor the info that I suspect he wants? Because my father, he loved knowing his patients, <laughs> loved being able to help them. And I hear a lot of people, no, they don't care because they won't make more money. I don't believe that. I don't no. believe that for one second. I believe people that go to, to be doctors, they don't go to be doctors because they want to make more money. They're happy, like everybody, to make more money. But they go to be doctors because they want to, to treat people. Mm-hmm. Okay? And so, and I think today the system is making it more difficult for them to do so. Mm-hmm. And, I, and technology could probably move the needle to make it easier for them to do so. And that's what I think we need to be, you know, to be working on today. Because we're not going to replace doctors by, uh, by machine. Maybe we are going to replace some of the tasks they do. Okay, but we are not going to replace doctors by machine. We are lacking doctors. What we need to do today is to enable the one we have and the one we train to, to serve the people who need them, not uh, you know, to replace them. I think, honestly, this objective is a, is a wrong objective. And so for the budding health tech entrepreneurs listening, or indeed any entrepreneurs listening, tell us about Camet. Tell us the journey through Camet, what you guys are achieving, what, you're, what you guys are doing in healthcare right now. Okay. So listen, Kamet, uh, Kamet uh, when we established Kamet, we looked for cooperation with, uh, uh, in the health space with HMOs, with uh, healthcare companies, etc. And we, we were very lucky to, uh, uh, to strike partnerships with uh, Israeli HMOs, that, you know, uh, with uh, Klalit and Maccabi, which are the, probably the two largest Israeli HMOs. And... Um, and uh, we, uh, we, had, we were very lucky to have their access to a lot of clinical uh, uh, knowledge and also to, uh, to organizations that, that have uh, with them massive um, medical data sets that, of course, you can't access without sanitizing, but still that offers uh, unlimited opportunities to imagine solutions, things you can do, et cetera, et cetera. And... and that's the angle through which we progressively expanded our footprint into, into healthcare. And to them also, I'm very grateful. In Kamet, we, we developed a, a little bit over 20 companies. Uh, more than half of them are in the health tech uh, space. Um, we, we developed companies in the uh, access uh, area. So basically telemedicine. Uh, uh, you know, one of the lead, leading uh, telemedicine, uh, French telemedicine player is called the Care. Mm. Um, it has been acquired by Health Hero very recently from us, um, and this is one of the pro- you know, one of the company we built. We are working uh, in the field of uh, occupational health. I, I mean, strong. We strongly believe that uh, if we want to provide a, a good healthcare experience and a good outcome in terms of prevention, we need to work through multiple access points to the people in, in today's world. And we believe that occupational health, even though it serves, I would say, a, a company objective, should also 
address an individual objective. And that's why also we developed a company. We have a, a, a very well-performing company in this area called Padoa. Um, we, we developed a, a company uh, called Ibex. Ibex that's working which more on the, so that's on the access, those are the, we have a third company on the access that's called Medloop that's developing, a, that's also working in the UK. Um, and that's uh, developing, I would say, um, patient management solutions for surgeries. They just started, it's a, but it's, a, it's a, an interesting uh, model. Uh, we have then uh, companies on the diagnostic space, mm. okay? um, uh, namely we have uh, Ibex, which is an Israeli-based uh, team, now a company that's, uh, uh, and that's working on the pathology space. Yeah, they've been, yeah I, I know those guys, yeah. Yeah, you know the guys. Yeah, they are great guys. So um, uh, 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 we have uh, another company in the diagnostic called uh, called uh, Cardiocol, that's mm. uh, analyzing voice to diagnose uh, cardiovascular disease. Oh wow! Analyzing voice for cardiovascular disease. Wow. Oh, yes, my friend. You know, there, there is a connection, a physiological wow. one between the vocal cord and the heart. Of course, well, yeah, of course. As you know, and um, and and uh, trying to uh, <laughs> analyze the sound that you pronounce to to get to your uh, uh, heartbeat and uh, and recompose your uh, you know your heartbeat is something that they do very well. <laughs> and through that, they are able to detect uh, to detect fibrillation. Um, wow! And and you know that it's you know screening of fibrillation is a, is, is a very big problem today. It's very mm. hard to detect, very hard to measure the burden. So there is always this, this problem with screening that you need very, very high um, specificity for the test to be useful or very, very low cost of the test so that you can repeat them. So CardioCode is, is today in a reasonably high uh, uh, specificity, but honestly, on a, the, the cost to perform the test is almost none mm. because uh, you can do it via phone, uh, you can do it via a mic that you put in the home, you can... You, I, you, they can give you a phone call and ask you to, to repeat sentences or to pronounce some specific sounds and then they will take a measurement and, and all that can be fully automated. So then it's really, a, I think, an interesting diagnostic companion test and maybe diagnostic test at some point. Mm. Um, so that, that's the second one we have in the, in the diagnostic specs. And we are also working a little bit on, a, on other uh, diagnostic tests for chronic and serious disease like uh, cancer, etc. But it's a little bit out of our comfort zone, to be honest. What we like is really, uh, um, uh, we're not really in med tech, we're more in, a, in, a, in really a, a silicone rather than a carbon kind of. Uh, and we have uh, also, uh, I would say, a solution that we develop in the area of uh, what I call care coordination, which are probably virtual clinics or online to offline. So care was at the middle of access and this, because the idea that we had when we built care was really not to be a GP generalist, you speak to whoever and you change doctor every time, but much more to create a, a, an offline to online, an online to offline experience where you could see the doctor online, he could refer you to a colleague offline, not too far away from, from your home and they would cooperate in solving the case when need be and it will be multi-specialty, etc. That's what I think we, 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 we try to design. We have another company in this, you know, in the elderly uh, care space called Birdie that's also working on how to help people. Oh, yeah, I know Max. He's been on there a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, Max is a great guy too. <laughs> we developed a, a, a company uh, called uh, Apricity that's working on the, on the fertility space. 
um, and offering uh, virtual clinic uh, services. We okay, so I probably uh, forgot some of them. Uh, yeah, <laughs> now we have another one on the specific. We we spoke about this topic a little bit on the menopause space. That's mm. very early stage that we we are working with to 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 offer a, a different uh, approach to. Uh, to managing, uh, to uh, you know, this this period in life, um, and so uh, and we are working uh, relentlessly on, uh, on on two, I would say, the ideas uh, on the health tech as I, as I speak. One uh, is on uh, what I call prevention uh, mm-hmm. or health check. You can yeah. maybe connect it. You know how to how to uh, address this uh, this question and. Uh, you know, on, on keeping the health of the of the people who are healthy, or on avoiding degrad- degradation of people who are not fully healthy but not yet very, uh, you know, very ill. And what does it take, and how how to do that uh, in good coordination with uh, with healthcare systems that are very often uh, geared to to provide the support, but not to really uh, deliver prevention. Mm-hmm. Uh, in reality, I, they do a little bit of screening when it becomes a mass benefit but they don't do uh, an approach that's individually uh, valid, in my opinion. Uh, and, and, and there is a tension here because the economics of being individually valid uh, might not work very well with the economics of being uh, collectively uh, acceptable. Um, and so that's uh, something we're looking at very closely. And another, another area that you know, we are looking at uh, closely is, in the, as I said, in the gender-specific uh, health. Mm. For mail, which we think, uh, apart from platforms that sell uh, um, that sell uh, drugs for better uh, for better erections, very few are really trying to, to you know to approach uh, male specific condition mm. in a coherent and cohesive manner. Mm. And and we believe that there is uh, something at least we, we are not sure yet, but we are looking at this uh, quite closely. Yes. Nice. And I suppose final question, couple of questions before you head off. Um, what's what's your model here i mean you're you're the inventor and you guys are obviously building the ventures somewhat i mean how much do you do at that early stage and you guys recruiting a team and handing it off like how how does that work practically and who who are you after from our listeners our space what will help you in terms of the people that could get in touch with you so i will tell you how we work it's not true for 100 percent of our ventures because in some places you know we onboarded teams that were already there working on an idea right if you look at the 20 plus venture we created, this onboarding of teams that were already there, it's probably 20% of what we have done. Yeah. 20% of what we have done uh, work the way I'll describe to you, which is our, I would say, uh, DNA. Okay. Uh, we look at the space very often with partners, sometimes alone. Let's say uh, we look at, uh, I'll take a space that we look at, we look at uh, elderly care. Mm. Uh, then uh, what we do is we engage with many, many uh, experts, people in the industry, etc. We read all the reports that we can, for, and, and we form an opinion on what is there to be done in this space. About, you know, there is uh, uh, improving the way uh, services are delivered, okay? improving the economics of the healthcare agency, connecting better the health system with the care system, which are totally uh, disconnected or largely disconnected today. Um, creating a platform of data around the elder so that when somebody intervenes, he can efficiently go to what really matters. Providing services to to the family that will uh, help them uh, 
uh, understand why they can't go because the average distance is 300 kilometers or mm. 200 kilometers, I don't remember. Uh, that their, their uh, close ones is still in good shape, etc., etc., and they don't want to intervene. The list is very long, okay? Helping uh, elderly people who are uh, more and more differentiated from uh, social interaction to, to rebuild social interaction and to be less lonely. Uh, providing mobility solutions, blah, 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 blah. So we look, very, very long list, and we try to understand all the problems, okay? And then we ideate. We ideate, sometimes alone, sometimes with entrepreneurs. In the case of Birdie, that I'm mm. the story, Max was already there. When yeah. he joined Med, he didn't want, well, he was not working on uh, elderly care. His initial mm. idea was more, was a different one on an insurance, insurance specific one. Okay. And he was in residence with uh, other people on the team working. But we brought this idea, or I don't know if we brought, or he was also interested, I don't remember, of elderly care as one thing, but we were looking at it before he joined. And then he, he worked with us on a, on a process where we, 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 we build this knowledge base, we interview people, we, we, we ideate solutions. And by the way, with Max on elderly care, we looked at two very different solutions. So, uh, a platform for elderly people to connect with each other and to, and, and to recreate social interaction and a platform to help even older people live longer in their home. Mm. So we, we looked at those two angles and we, and, and, and we choose the, the latter because we believed it was a, 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 a one with a stronger societal impact and that was important for Max and for us. And we also believed that there was a, a much uh, larger healthcare opportunity, which is also very important for us. And we believed also that there was a, a bigger business, which is also very important for us. Mm. Okay. And... Um, and once we have done that, what we do is what we call a design. So basically, we, we design not only a product, but we design a business. So what do we want to be the end goal? And the end goal in the case of Max, I won't speak about it because if he was there, he probably described <laughs> it better, better uh, than, than I would, even though uh, at some point in time, I would have described it better than he that, that <laughs> Yeah, of course. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the, the, the thing that, uh, that I like very much about Kemet. And uh, we designed this end goal and we designed the business tra trajectory to get there. What's the first step in terms of developing yeah. that? And then we helped Max build his team. The first people who were onboard in, onboarded in, uh, in Birdie, uh, maybe you met Abid, who's one of his co-founders, or, um, or Gwen, etc. But, you know, they, were, they happened to be in Kemet before being in, uh, in Birdie. I and see. The team was built, not all of it. Some of it was bring from the outs brought from the outside letter or Max, you know, found guys he wanted to work with and that's the way it should be. But, you know, this accelerated very much the build. My team in the factory has supported the design of the initial solution, the MVP, as we call it, and helped build it. And once we had something that we believed in, etc., a company was formed, the equity was split, and the team was located in the company. And people who wanted to stick to the company and were co-opted also by Max, stick to it and the one people he onboarded he onboarded etc etc and that's the way the company was formed and that's the way we do so you know it's a partnership it's a teaming yeah and sometimes you know the, the entrepreneur is there from the get-go sometimes he's not there from the get-go we have another company where the entrepreneur arrived after we created the company and we were still managing it while it was not yet not yet fully really a startup because it was lacking a, a ceo or a sure. So we try to adapt our approach to what we're developing. If it's very, very techy, but we know we can live without a business leader for a longer period of time. Mm. If it's uh, uh, very operational, we know we cannot. Yeah. And so we adapt uh, very much the setup, the, the priorities in building teams and solutions. 
to, to the problem we are after. And yes, we are inventors, but we don't have one inventor in chief. Mm. Mm. Invention comes from the process and everybody. So when Max tells the story and say he wanted to do that because of his grandfather, it's probably very, very true. Yeah. Okay. And uh, at the same time, I'm not sure he would have done that if he yeah. was not met what we were looking Got for. It. Opportunity. You see what I mean? So it's Got really, it. it's a joint effort that we that we do. It's a, and, and when I think of it, you know, as a, I've been an entrepreneur, I've been a, a lone entrepreneur uh, a couple of times. I didn't have a garage, as I said, but uh, I had a studio. It was a studio in Paris. Nice. <laughs> not a studio in a startup studio. Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, but uh, one thing that I lacked, I must say, when I look retrospectively, is I lacked uh, uh, like-minded people challenging me, working with me, helping me. It's a very, very lone wolf kind of thing to, to yeah. put together. Doing it in Kamet is not a lone wolf kind of thing. It's it's a place where you have experience, uh, uh, driven people, support, uh, access to early capital. But honestly, I think this one is a, is the least of what's really useful. Nice. Michael, it's been a pleasure having you on, learning about what you guys are doing. Obviously, you're churning out some incredible companies. Yeah, Ibex Medical Analytics, we know. They won an AI award recently from NHSX and had a lot of money pumped in from all that side of things. And they're scaling wonderfully in pathology through the NHS right now. Um, and I believe the private sector as well. Birdie, obviously, Max has been on here and we've talked to him before and I'm sure others that, that you're involved with as well. It's clearly a very good model. You've clearly proved the point. Um, and long may it continue to be quite honest. If you're pumping out companies that are doing that and making that sort of impact, then um, yeah, by all means, please keep going. Um, if people want to get in touch with you to learn a bit more about uh, yourself or Camet, what's the best way for them to get in touch with uh, your Camet Ventures? So, you know, they can write to Camet Ventures or use LinkedIn. Excellent. And we will put those links in the description of this episode. So, Michael, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Hey everyone, thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate us and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.